0: Hey guys, Eric Lindeen here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. There you go. My name is Eric I'm going to be one of the pastors here. So glad that you were all here this morning. Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can stand and read those as well or pull out your phone. We have been working through the book of Genesis. We are now chapter 18. We're getting close to the end of kind of the first, or this next chunk of chapters. We'll wrap up right before Easter. But uh, let's read in Genesis chapter 18, if you're on your phone, I'm going to be in the ESV version. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant, Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sias of fine flour and knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door, tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are here with us. God, I pray that as that video said, you would give us faith. Give us faith to trust what you say. Give us faith to walk in your ways. Give us faith... To believe, God, that you are with us and that you love us. God, I pray that every single person in here would know that they are cared for, that they are seen, they are loved, that they are accepted, and that we're so glad that they are here. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Hey, we got our lights figured out. Thanks, Josh. Give Josh our tech guy hands. Man, he runs around like crazy. We c- couldn't talk to the school's lights, so that's why we had full lights. Uh, but it's good. We're here now. Uh, again, today, if you have your note sheet. You can pull that out. Um, one of our goals is not to just give you some information, we want to help you have a life of transformation. And so if you can hear it, if you can see it, write it down, discuss it with some people, that'll help get these truths down deep into your souls. Well, I think every child is born with a superpower. But as we get older, many of us forget how to use that superpower that God gives us. When I look at my seven-year-old son, Andrew, and when he hangs out with his good buddies, Mason Fodstad and Emmett Anderson and other kids in this church, and you kind of observe them, they use these superpowers in an amazing way where the power of imagination is so evident. You know, they can turn anything into a weapon, right? Uh, It doesn't matter what. And, you know, so often they'll be playing and they're like, now I have these superpowers and I can do this. And and their brains just go crazy because they are limitless in their imagination and an ability to dream and think outside of the confines of reality and what's around us. I think, though, as we get older, many of us forget how to use that superpower that God has given each and every one of us. See, God is a creative God who, by his imagination, birthed this whole universe. We were created in his image of that creative God. COVID was hard on pretty much everyone. And I think as we went through that se- season of, of shutdown and, and things shaking up and stirring up and division and racial tensions bubbling over and, you know, contentious elections, I know for me personally, maybe you can echo with this, I feel like I entered into a season of just survival. Can anyone else identify who? with that of just like, man, I just got to get through this. Maybe for you it was college classes or just your job or just life. It was like, man, I'm just surviving right now. And I feel like now as we're coming out of that still and that season, we're coming to grips with how that all affected us and the shutdown and the division and all these things. And I know for me, it was maybe 18 months, two years ago, I think I finally kind of woke up from the numbness of just being at a place of just trying to survive. I remember one day watching my son play with his friends and their imaginations and realizing, man, I feel like I've lost the ability to dream and imagine. And I've just been in a time of survival. And I believe God in that moment spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but through watching my son of saying, hey, it's okay to dream again. And we need to recapture our imagination. And, and that's the title of my sermon this morning is Recapture Your Imagination. I think a lot of us went through a season where we stopped dreaming, stop imagining what could God do And God wants you to start dreaming again and to believe that anything is possible, that the best is yet to come, that you can find meaning and discover your purpose and that you can trust the promises of God. Amen? So we've been journeying through the book of Genesis. We find ourselves, again, in chapter 18. Pastor Ryan did a great job unpacking chapter 17. If you missed any of those messages, uh, they're on our YouTube channel. Uh, You can check those out. But today's text, we just read... It's a great day for Father Abraham. It's a great day. He's going to have lunch with Jesus. Uh, 2,000 years before Jesus was born as a virgin, he gets off his throne in heaven, and he comes down to earth, and he has a lunch appointment with Father Abraham. And I think that is so beautiful. So let's dive into our text, chapter 18, verse 1. It says, and the Lord, this is Jesus. We talk about this like a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. He's coming down to earth. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. A couple of things here real quick. Mamre means fatness. And so you got to think like P-H-A-T, fat, all right? Abraham, he's about 100 years old, but he's been living the good life. God has blessed him. So that he can be a blessing. You know, he's gone through the TV show Cribs. His tent is, you know, pimped out. It looks amazing. He's got the 65-inch flat screen. You know, his camel's got dual exhaust. Don't think about that too hard. You know, he's got the built-in DVD player. Like, right? He's living the good life. And Jesus is going to show up there. Also, we've been talking about this. The trees, right? The oaks. There's something important here. Why are these details in the Old Testament? We're thinking back to the Garden of Eden. Remember, Abraham, when he first comes to the promised land, he goes to the oaks, to the trees, the place of seeing. We said, Remember, if you're looking for God, look to the tree. That's pointing ahead to the cross where we see God's love poured out on the tree. And then back to the Garden of Eden, how God originally created us to have perfect shalom peace with each other, with creation as well as vertically with our God. So every time you see a tree here, we're thinking back to that. We're looking ahead towards the cross. And he lifted up his eyes, Abraham, and looked, and behold, three men. You're going to see Jesus and two of his angel buddies are there. We're standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself down to the earth. Now remember, Abraham is about 100 years old. The dude probably doesn't run very often, Right? Earlier, we were setting up, we are watching some of our kids are here early when we get here at 7.30. They're running around, and I was saying to some of the guys here on the worship and tech team, I was like, man, do you remember when you used to run for fun? Like, it's been a long time. Like, I only run now if, like, a predator's chasing me or I'm trying to get fit, right? That's the only times I'm going to run. So here, Father Abraham is 100 years old, probably doesn't run often. He runs, he bows down. Again, probably the knees and back don't work as well, but he's doing it. He's bowing down to Jesus. And he said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. We're going to see here's Abraham. He's going to show hospitality to Jesus and, and, and these angels. Like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the New Testament showing hospitality to Jesus, welcoming him, in, him into their home. Like Matthew, the tax collector. Like the Andersons and the Fodstads do every single week when they host their community groups on Tuesday night and Thursday night. In the Christian faith, we talk about these kind of churchy words, and if you're kind of new to church, hey, that's okay. We, we have our own language sometimes, so you just got to kind of learn it and, and know words as you learn it. But we kind of have two things we talk about. And real quick, I want to just pause here. Number one, we have fellowship, which is great. That's, we, we have friends in our home. Abraham has this relationship with God, with Jesus, and so he's inviting a friend in, to a meal and take care of them. This is someone he knows. And this is great. This is what we do oftentimes in our community groups, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights. We have fellowship. This is with other believers. This is with people we know. We welcome them in. That's good. We need to do that. But we also show hospitality. And hospitality is welcoming strangers. Abraham doesn't know these angels, but he's going to welcome in these strangers. As followers of Christ, we need to do both fellowship and hospitality. We need to have times where we're hanging out with other believers that we know each other, we love each other, or we're having them into our homes, we're sharing a meal. That's a fellowship. That's really good. Some Christians just get stuck here and never do this one. Hospitality is welcoming the stranger in. We have a hospitality team here. It's welcoming strangers into our church to say, hey, you're a stranger, but we want to help you feel welcome. So that strangers become friends who become like family. That's not going to happen overnight, but we have a team of volunteers who say, hey, I will be outside in the cold, in the single digits, just as a smiling face saying, hey, we're glad that you are here. They set up coffee and, and, uh, and, and have the note sheets for you available, then afterwards treats. That's our hospitality team. It's welcoming strangers in so they can start to feel like family. That's the goal here. One of the requirements of followers of Jesus is to practice both hospitality and fellowship. This is a gospel issue. Because once we were strangers to God and he befriended us, amen, Jesus showed hospitality to us. He invited us into his kingdom in the same way we're supposed to show hospitality to others. This means get to know your neighbors, your coworkers, invite them into your home, practice hospitality, feed them, invest in people, uh, you know, build friendship and community. This is sad. I've read that in the last 25 years, the number of sit-down restaurants, where you can take your time, have a good meal with friends, uh, is down 25%. But the number of fast food or quick restaurants is up 100%. So there's less places where we can sit and linger and have a meal. And what that means is more and more people are eating by themselves, on the go, in their car. And having a meal with friends over to your house is down 45%. And this is pre-COVID, that in the last few years, uh, the number of, of people having friends into their house is down 45%. And I think that number is even lower now coming out of COVID. And this is the problem. I know personally for us, and, and probably we're not alone in this, we converted our dining room into an office for Kristen. I can say in the last couple of years, we probably had less people over in our house uh, because we don't have a dedicated dining room. That's just uh, more and more the case. And new homes are building it's rare to have a dining room and you know a kitchen table. Now they have more playrooms and offices. I think as a culture, we've lost sight of the art of hospitality, and I think we want to recapture it. In one generation, we've become a people that rarely practices hospitality. But hospitality is an opportunity to love God and to serve others. Hospitality is an opportunity to love God and serve others. We show our love for God by welcoming the stranger in, by, by inviting people into our home, by blessing them with food. It's an opportunity to serve others. Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Our culture has lost this art, but we've talked about this. Just because something is common culturally doesn't mean it's correct. Amen? This is how we're different than culture around us. Abraham gets us. He's going to show good hospitality. Let's go on. He says, Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. All right, we got water, we've got a tree, we've got fellowship with Jesus. What is our author trying to get us to think about? Go back to the Garden of Eden, right? This is all Garden of Eden talk. Water, refreshment, rest, a tree, fellowship with God. This is what we're supposed to be thinking about. We're, we're pointing back. This is a little piece of Eden. Adam's, or Abraham is kind of like a new Adam. And through him, goodness and flourishment and, and shalom is going to come out into the world. So we've got a little picture of Eden here. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sias of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. I love this. this I do this to Christian all the time, right? It's like Abraham's like, come on, sit down, we're going to feed you. And then he realizes, all right, pouring a bowl of cereal is probably not going to cut it. So what does he do? He runs to his wife, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, I need your help here. Can you bake some fresh bread? Because uh, he knows that he's got to take care of Jesus, and, 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 and his wife is going to help him out in that. Now some of you might say, hey, I don't— like to entertain. It's a lot of work. But Sarah, she's needing flour. She's going to make some cake from scratch. And here's the truth. That showing hospitality is an inconvenience, but it's what followers of Jesus are called to do. This is a New Testament gospel issue. This is a commandment. We're commanded to show hospitality. And yes, it's an inconvenience. Abraham and Sarah weren't expecting this. This inconvenience, them, but this is what they're supposed to do. So he ran, uh, so here you go. Then he took curds and milk and the calf. Oh, you know, what? I, uh, I deleted one of my slides. Verse 7, here we go. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. All right, so Abraham, he's running to the herd. He's going to take, Now again, this should be a trigger word. Anytime we read take in the book of Genesis, We're thinking back to Eden. We're thinking about Eve taking, you know, uh, uh, know, Sarah took Hagar, gave it to Abraham. You know, Eve took the fruit. But here's the same thing. When Eve saw the fruit was good, that it was tov, that's the the Hebrew word for goodness, uh, she grasped it. Now Abraham, he's going to his flock. He's looking for a sheep that is good. Tove same word that Eve, Eve uses there. And he's going to grasp it. But now this is for something good. Now this is super generous of Abraham. Fresh meat was not common in this time period. You know, uh, uh, as much as we like to, to think back to, you know, paleo diets, uh, they didn't eat a whole lot of meat very often. It was a special occasion. And so Abraham, though, he wants to take care of Jesus and show hospitality. And if you're going to grill up some meat, but you got to go out and like kill the meat first and, you know, slaughter the cow and carve it up, that's committed barbecue right there, right? This is a, a feast fit for royalty. This is a lavish meal. He promised a morsel of bread and some water, but he's going to deliver some fresh barbecue, some, you know, freshly baked bread, some deep-fried cheese curds from the state fair, fresh milk, some sweet Martha's cookies. That's what he's actually going to deliver. Under promise and over deliver. Some of you guys don't believe me about the cheese curds. Just just hold on. That's good hospitality right there. That's something we need to capture as Christ's followers. She's making homemade bread. He's grilling up some fresh ribs. They're going out of their way to show hospitality. Then he took the curds. See, told you, cheese curds right here. He took the curds and the milk, and I think the subtext there is the sweet Martha's cookies to dip it in there, and the calf, the ribs, the, the tri tip right there that he had prepared. And he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. I love this. Picture like Father Abraham. He's got the napkin over his arm. He's like a maitre d'. He's like needing salt and pepper, right? He's really serving them. Now, Abraham, we know he's got all these servants. He's a wealthy, powerful person. Abraham easily could have been sitting down with them at this meal. But what is he doing? Instead of asking his servants to serve them, Abraham himself is serving Jesus and these angels. He's going to personally make sure everything is going well. That's the attitude of hospitality and fellowship. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now there's all kinds of reasons uh, speculation on why she's in the tent and not out them. I'm I'm not entirely sure. You know, Maybe she's a little angry at God at this point. I don't know. But for some reason, she's not joining them. She's kind of hanging out in the tent, but she's listening. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Understatement, right? Abraham was about 100, and Sarah's about 90, advanced in years. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She's gone through menopause. You know, uh, women don't have children this late in life. And so how does Sarah respond so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?" She's thinking, "I'm almost ninety. My hundred-year-old husband has been riding a camel like his whole life. Like things probably don't work properly anymore. Like how are we gonna have a baby?" And she's she's laughing at this. She's like, "I've been waiting 25 years since this promise. You tell me it's gonna happen in the next year." Now again, sometimes pastors like really get on Sarah's case that she laughed at God. But did you remember what happened in the previous chapter? Ryan covered this in 17. When Abraham hears God say this, what does he do? He laughs, all right? So let's not bag on Sarah too much because Abraham just did in the last chapter. He laughed when God told her. This time Sarah's going to laugh. So they both laugh at this idea. They think this is crazy. There's no way. They've stopped dreaming. They've stopped imagining of what could be. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. we we'll to spend the rest of the morning on that phrase. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The Hebrew name for the Lord here is Yahweh. And uh, I love this meme someone sent to me a few years back. When the world say, no way, we say, Yahweh. That's your groaner for the day, okay? It's okay to groan, right? But truly, I, I, that's going to be the one thing you remember that this, after this sermon, right? Is that God says yes to us. When it seems like no way, his response is Yahweh, right? Here's the thing. That Hebrew word palah can be translated as hard. Is anything too hard for the Lord? but can also be translated as wonderful or marvelous. He's saying, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too marvelous for God to do? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Do you believe that God wants to do wonderful and marvelous things in your life? God wanted them to know, Abraham and Sarah, that nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too wonderful to accomplish in their lives and in your lives. A dead womb and a hundred-year-old dude has been riding a camel his whole life, God's gonna give them a son. It's not too late. God wants Abraham and Sarah to have faith, to keep believing, to don't stop believing. Here's the thing: is to have faith, which we've been praying about, we need to change how we think. We need to recapture our imagination. Here's what God says in Isaiah 55: He says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars high above earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way that you think. He's saying you are limited in your thinking, in your capacity. But expand your mind, expand your imagination. Believe that God can do great things. See, you and I as Christ followers, our imagination is under attack. Our enemy has no imagination. He can't create anything. He can only destroy and distort. And he hates it when we dream new dreams, when we start new things, when we dream and imagine the possibilities of what could be. Our imagination is under attack because your imagination is the incubator for every great thing God wants to do in your life. It starts first in our imagination, in our dreams of saying, God, what can you do? What is possible that there is more than this temporary moment? Amen? And worry about the future and fear is a misuse of our imagination. See, too often fear is vision without optimism. It's you can see, but only what could potentially go wrong. And so many people get trapped in that. They only use their imaginations for what possibly could go wrong instead of what could go right. What could God do if I took that step of faith? If I started that new business? If I asked that person if they'd be willing to grab coffee and be discipled? Fear is vision without optimism. Fear in the mind leads to anxiety in the body when we allow our mind to be consumed by all the what-ifs and what could go wrong, it's a prison that leads to anxiety in our body and we shut down and we pull back instead of leaning into the things of God. Right? There's, we can sit leaning back with our arms folded and be like, you know what, I've seen it all, I'm just skeptical. Or we can live on the edge of our seats leaning forward saying, you know what, I haven't seen it all yet. There are things to be birthed in my life still. If I'm not dead, God's not done. And there's still more for me, amen? See, your mind is the place where miracles, God wants to work through you, are born. Now, again, this could sound like hokey pokey, whatever stuff, but God created our minds. God created us in his image as a creative, imaginative God. This all exists because it was first born in his mind. And all the greatest works of God happened first in people's minds as they said, what could be? What could God do through me as he empowers me with his Holy Spirit? See, we have an enemy. Your enemy wants you to not be able to be alone with your thoughts because you're only given in to fear and uncertainty and, 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 and just... Limited thinking. Your enemy wants your mind to be filled with worry and anxiety so you can't think clearly, so you can't dream. Your enemy wants you to focus on anxiety instead of living with anticipation for what God can do in your life and through your life. Now hear me. I'm not saying anxiety is just one of those things you got to try hard, and if you're not spiritual, you're going to have that. And the more spiritual you are, the less anxiety you're going to have. That's not what I'm saying. Around covid First time in my life, I had anxiety, panic attacks. I had to be on medication for them. Uh, I still have some uh, uh, pills uh, just in case because I can't control it. My heart rate skyrockets and uh, it, it just happens. Counseling helps. Focusing on God and his spirit helps. These are broken, flawed bodies. Amen? That includes our minds. But We can just give in to that and say, okay, I struggle with anxiety. I guess that's just who I am. Ryan talked about this last week. There's a big difference to say, you know, I'm an anxious person versus I'm a person with anxiety. Amen? That doesn't define me. And here's the thing is your enemy wants to just focus on that anxiety to make that your identity. Instead of living with anticipation for what God can do in your life and through your life. Of what God could do through you. See, your enemy wants you to focus on the facts, on your failures, and on your feelings. For Abraham, what are the facts? He's 100. Sarah's 90. The way of women had ceased with her Right, The facts are they can't get pregnant. What are their failures? Sarah took Hagar, this Egyptian woman, gave him to her husband. Through that, Ishmael is created and born. They messed up. When they go down to Egypt, Abraham is passive. He lets his wife be taken by Pharaoh. God steps in and intervenes. Abimelech, we're going to see this. That same exact mistake, Abraham is passive, lets this other king take his wife. Man, they have some big failures. What are the failures in your life? Your enemy wants you to focus on, on your feelings. How do Abraham and Sarah both respond when God, last chapter to Abraham, this chapter, Sarah, says, hey, you will have a son in the next year? Their feelings are, no way. No I can't hope anymore. I can't dream anymore. And they're feeling, this this will not happen. Your enemy wants us to focus on the facts, on your failures, on your feelings. But here's the thing. Facts? We serve a God in miracles, right? And he can overcome any fact, any doctor's diagnosis, any obstacle in our way. We serve a God who specializes in removing obstacles, amen? On your failures, hey, we all mess up, but on the cross, our failures are nailed to the tree, and that doesn't define us. We can move forward in hope and, 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 and walk forward from those failures. And on your feelings, our feelings lie to us. They tell us, hey, you're all alone. Hey, this anxiety is everything. Your numbness is your new reality. But God wants us to get past those things. It's time to recapture your imagination by walking in faith. Change the way you think, and you will change who you are. This is why, again and again, we say you need to be in God's word. As you're in this, it will help change your mind. As you connect with God through prayer, it will change your mind. As you're in communion with other believers, let them speak into you. Let a band of brothers say, no, what you're telling yourself is not of God. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You are not forsaken. You are God's beloved and you are going to heaven when you die. And God has a plan for you. And when we change the way we think, it's going to change who we are. God in Isaiah 55 says he wants to pull up the thistles in your life and plant giant sequoias. He wants to pull out the thorn bushes and plant stately pines. When we moved into our house about eight years ago, we had some nasty, overgrown, half-dead juniper bushes, and they were just the ugliest things ever. We had about three of them. And I tried digging them out, but the roots were down deep. I could not dig them out by myself. And a friend, with his pickup truck, we hooked up uh, these chains to these juniper bushes, and it took some tugging. We finally ripped them out, and the roots were taller and deeper at that time than uh, our five-year-old. And and, and those things were in there deep. But before we could plant anything new, we had to rip out those old juniper bushes. And here's the thing. There may be some things that have been planted in your mind that you need to rip out. But if you just try to do it on your own strength, it's not going to happen. You need God's Spirit, God's people, God's Word, to wrap their chains around there, to get that pickup truck, and to rip that out. All right, I also want to talk to those who call themselves Christ followers right now, as we start to wrap up. As we talk about recapture imagination, about dreaming again. If God answered all of your prayers in this last week, how different would the world around us look? How different would your church look, your neighborhood, your family's lives? See, I think too often we pray small, safe prayers. But we need to pray bold, life-changing, earth-shaking prayers. With the power of the infinite God available to us, why are we content to pray small prayers? I once heard someone said that if the size of your vision isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance it's insulting to God. The same can be said of our prayers. If you aren't a little sheepish, To share your prayers with someone. And I think you're praying too small. If it's not a little audacious, if it's not a little, uh, here's what I'm asking God for, you know, I think we're praying too small. We're dreaming too small. We need to recapture our imagination. God is waiting to do great things, but a lot of times we simply won't ask In the Old Testament, Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. Daniel prayed and he safely hung out with lions for a night. Jesus prayed and he fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. The same power that performed those miracles is alive in us through the Spirit of God. It's time to recapture our imaginations, to reject anxiety and recover our anticipation and pray some bold prayers. Amen? What you pray for reflects what you believe about God. Do you believe he's capable of doing more than we could ask, think, or imagine. I think about just the power of imagination, what can be birthed through there. I think about this church that didn't exist, it was not here, and God gave some of us a vision for what could be, and we saw you all before it ever happened. And God birthed that. I think of people like Ryan Holland, who in his mind, imagined a new business, a new opportunity that people could connect fathers and sons over a hobby like baseball cards and what was birthed through there. I think of Josh Olson, who's been spending the last month, sadly, in the state of Florida, you know, just just rough life. And what he imagined, hey, I'm a stay-at-home dad, but I could start this DJ business. How many couples were blessed through their weddings of Josh's infectious spirit, youth groups, that he goes in and and, and breathes life into them because he imagined what God could do that he created out of nothing. What a beautiful thing. God spoke this world into existence in the same way we have that power to create something out of nothing. I'm a songwriter, and and, and when I listen to songs I've written and recorded, it may sound prideful whatever, but it it still blows me away that God gives us the ability out of nowhere to come up with words and chords and melodies and and to see it come together. And now this song exists that can bless people that out of nowhere, out of nothing, is birthed. Now, you may not be creative. You may not be called to start a new business. But what is it that God wants to birth in your life? If God can birth Isaac from a barren woman's womb, what can he birth in your life? See, as a church, we're getting ready to move to a new chapter. Here's the thing. This is our next chapter. This isn't forever. Whatever season you're in now, that's not forever. That's just your season you're in right now. And we're dreaming and believing God wants to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. We're dreaming and saying, God, could you blow away our expectations? What does that look like? More people finding freedom and healing from addictions. More people finding friendship and community as strangers become friends who become like family. More marriages being healed. More kids finding close biblical friendships that encourage them. More teenagers who are struggling with questions of identity and their sexuality and and bullying, finding a safe place where adults can pour into their lives. What does that all look like? We don't know. But you know what? I'm praying some bold prayers. I'm dreaming again. I'm believing God wants to do some great things. I'm believing that wombs in our church will be opened, that doctors' diagnoses won't be true. That people will be healed. That people will get the chance to adopt. That businesses will be started. That people will get to hire new people. And we'll say, wow, look what God birthed through us. If we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to respond. But so often, God is waiting to respond until we have the audacity to ask. So please recapture your imagination. Dream again. What can be possible as the God of the impossible sustains you and fills you with his power? I'm going to pray and invite the band up. God, thank you. You are the God of the, of the impossible. And God, you want to do more than we could ask, think, think, or imagine. So God, give us the audacity to pray big, bold prayers. God, I pray right now that the revivals we see breaking out on college campuses, God, would come to Minnesota, would come to Maple Grove. God, I pray that our first night at Christ Community Church on March 12th, God, there'd be such a hunger and longing for you. God, that revival would start. God, I pray that marriages who are on the rocks of people ready to just throw the towel in, God, they find hope. God, I pray for those who feel like no one cares or would miss them if if, if they took their lives. God, would find hope and healing and friendship and know that they are seen and loved and valued. God, I pray for people who have just, stopped dreaming, God, that you would rekindle ideas and dreams in their minds to to take a step of faith, to start something new, to ask, what is possible? God, we pray for protection of our minds, our hearts, and souls from the schemes of the evil one that wants us to just be numb and to not dream, to not have hope. So God, we want to reject anxiety and passivity and walk in boldness and to live leaning forward in anticipation of what you're going to do. God, we love you. We want to follow you, so give us faith to step into the new and to pray big, audacious, bold prayers. In your name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand with me? If you have any questions about just kind of our upcoming move and all that, I'd be happy to talk with you. Um, uh, again, just keep praying for our church. Uh, we love our church. We're so thankful for each and every one of you as a part of this. And uh, I believe we have a special church. Uh, just we have so much unity, so much love, um, so much friendship here. Uh, I've never been in as a unified of a church of people who truly care for each other. And and we're just asking, hey, God, we think we have some capacity that we could welcome some people into this family. So God, help us to be ready for those that he wants to bring into this church. Uh, But may you know that God so, so loves you, that he sees you and he wants to do in your life more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Uh, Let's go out of here singing about his amazing grace. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.